We're going to return this morning to Jeremiah chapter 3. Jeremiah chapter 3. We're going to read verses 6 through 19. Brethren, I am deeply grateful that we live in the day in which we live. It is a day of increasing darkness, but that just makes the light shine brighter. It makes it more distinguishable, not extinguishable. It makes the light of Christ much more clear. If the days continue in the way that they appear to, and as some are predicting, it will not be long before we'll find out if we believe anything that we've said we believe. And we may seal our testimony with our own life's blood or with great difficulties at best. I don't say that with any sense of dread or any sense of the fear of man. We're to fear God. Jesus said, I'll tell you who to fear. Don't fear them who, after they've killed the body, can do nothing else. Don't fear them. It's temporary. Fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Though our hearts and our minds should be fixed on our great God, The Psalms are full of pleas to him to help us through difficulties, through famine, through sickness, through persecution, through any of the dark times we may face in the best times of peace. It also helps us in days of darkness. And I do pray with all of my heart that we really see that. And I will tell you without any hesitation, apart from the gospel, the most important doctrine in this book is the sovereignty of God. If you do not believe that the living God governs everything, rules over sorrow and joy, heartache and heart joy, you will not be ready for some of the things coming, whatever they are. As uh, Spurgeon said, this is not an exact quote, but the sovereignty of God is the pillow on which the, the children of God rest their heads. And I don't say that lightly. If we're learning that doctrine, we learn to stop murmuring. And we learn to praise God for the difficulties that he sends us. Praise him. Thank him. Worship and adore him. Let's not start off well like Job did and then end justifying ourselves. Let's be able to say all the way through any of the things that we face. The Lord hath given. The Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Well, this morning we're going to read Jeremiah beginning in chapter 3. We're going to read verses 6 through 19 again. We considered them last week. We will look at them briefly again today. 
And by briefly, I mean, <clears throat> I won't do a 20 sermon message on this portion of scripture. But we will look at it today, fixing our hearts upon the main idea that I would draw out. And that is faithful shepherds, faithful shepherds. That being said, would you please stand with me? We're going to begin in verse 6, Jeremiah chapter 3. Verse 6, my brethren, this is the word of God. The Lord said also unto me in the days of Josiah the king, Hast thou seen that which backsliding Israel hath done? She has gone up upon every high mountain and under every green tree, and there hath played the harlot. Let's remember, he's talking about his people. He's not talking about the Assyrians. He's not talking about the Chaldeans. He's not talking about the Babylonians. He's talking about his professed people. And I said, after she had done all these things, turn thou unto me. But she returned not. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. And I saw when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a bill of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also. And it came to pass through the lightness of her whoredom that she defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and with stocks. And yet, for all this, her treacherous sister Judah hath not turned unto me with her whole heart, but feignedly, saith the Lord. And the Lord said unto me, The backsliding Israel hath justified herself more than treacherous Judah. Those two adjectives are troubling, are they not? Backsliding and treacherous, his people. Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, Return, thou backsliding Israel, saith the Lord, and I will not cause mine anger to fall upon you, for I am merciful, saith the Lord. And I will not keep anger forever. Only acknowledge thine iniquity. Only acknowledge thine iniquity. That thou hast transgressed against the Lord thy God. And hast scattered thy ways to the strangers under every green tree. And ye have not obeyed my voice, saith the Lord. Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord. For I am married unto you and I will take you one of a city and two of a family and I will bring you to Zion and I will give you pastors according to mine heart 
which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. And it shall come to pass, when ye be multiplied and increased in the land, in those days, saith the Lord, they shall say no more, the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Neither shall it come to mind. Neither shall they remember it. Neither shall they visit it. Neither shall that be done any more. At that time, they shall call Jerusalem the, thorn, the throne of the Lord. And all the nations, all the nations shall be gathered unto it. To the name of the Lord, to Jerusalem. Neither shall they walk any more after the imagination of their evil heart. In those days, the house of Judah shall walk with the house of Israel, and they shall come together out of the land of the north to the land that I've given for an inheritance unto your father. But, I said, how shall I put thee among the children and give thee a pleasant land, a goodly heritage of the hosts of nations? And I said, thou shalt call me father and shall not turn away from me. Amen. Amen. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us remain standing for prayer. Unless you have a condition that makes it difficult for you to stand. And then in that case, certainly please be seated. Brethren, let's, let's send up the gospel incense of prayer. <clears throat> Our Father, which art in heaven, thou dost rule in majesty. Christ, thy holy Son, Christ, our great high priest, Christ, our Lord and our King, is seated at thy right hand. O great high priest, how we praise and thank thee for the unchanging knowledge that thou dost intercede for us. Thou knowest every one of us. Thou knowest thy people, those that thou hast regenerated by the power of thy spirit, those that thou have moved off the foundation of man and has translated them into the kingdom of the blessed Christ. Father, feed them today. They're hungry. Thy true children want thee today. They want manna from heaven. They want to feed upon thee. They want to feed upon Christ. They want the word that satisfies the longing soul. And Father, for those who do not know Thee, Thou knowest them as well. Father, Thou knowest every reason that they set before Thee that keeps them from fleeing to Thy blessed and safe arms. Oh, how I pray that thou wouldst use the hammer of thy word to knock down every excuse, every 
in their own minds reasonable reason for not repenting of their sins and believing on thee. Wouldst thou show them mercy today? Wouldst thou shine the light of thy blessed word? Wouldst thou pierce their darkness? In fact, O righteous Father, I pray against the very powers of darkness. This is to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray for those whose minds have been blinded by the God of this world. And I pray that thou would set them free. Thou hast bound the strong man, O Christ. Plunder his house today. Save the lost. Save them. Save them. And I pray, O righteous Father, that thou wouldst breathe thy refreshing gale wind of the Holy Spirit upon thy dear children. Father, may each of them, whatever their state, Lord, if they came in with their hearts heavy, if they came in on the mountaintop, Father, draw every heart up and away from the distractions of the flesh, and may our hearts be fixed heavenward. May we gaze upon our God with the eyes of faith. May we hear his word with the ears of faith. May we believe the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit with hearts that beat for him. And now, O oh Christ, I come to wrestle with thee for thy people. O oh Christ, free them from bondage. Free them. Free them from the concerns of the flesh, from the things that weigh them down, from secret sins, wicked heart plots. O oh God, wouldst thou come and free all those that have been set free. Let them not waste their liberty in thee for the things of this world. O oh, bless them, bless thy sheep, feed thy sheep, O oh, great shepherd, and I plead it in thy name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. The one true living God promised to give pastors after his heart to his eternally loved people.
Throughout the scriptures, we find God faithful to his promises. And we are living in a day in which God is fulfilling that great, blessed promise. We do not find that the things he promised came to pass for Israel in those days. We don't need pastors in heaven. There's only one other option. The time we're living. God raises up faithful pastors to preach the glories, the wonders, the mysteries of Jesus Christ our Lord and his gospel. These faithful pastors feed Christ's flocks, that is, the churches of Christ Jesus throughout the world. And he will do that until he returns. Our message then is entitled, God's Gift of Faithful Shepherds. May God, our blessed Heavenly Father, our loving Heavenly Father, grant us according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith, and that we, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ and may the Holy Spirit accomplish that work in our souls this day. May it be for our great God's glory and our good. Well, our first major thought is this. Despite Israel and Judah's dreadful idolatry, their defiling idolatry, God promised a glorious age to come. Now, in our last message, we considered the rich, spirit-breathed passage that we have just read. We learned that God called Jeremiah to preach in troubled times. God exposed He exposes the dreadful, idolatrous sins of Israel, the northern kingdom, and her treacherous sister Judah, the southern kingdom. The pagan temples and groves, the temple prostitutes, the horrific sexual perversion, and the demonic idols, all, all, defiled the land and our land today is defiled in exactly the same way so God announced that backsliding Israel had played the harlot with many lovers upon every high hill and under every green tree he called her to repentance But she refused. God called his people to repent. And they refused. 
Judah tragically followed suit. Israel refused God's call, so God divorced her and sent her into captivity in Assyria. But that had no effect whatsoever on treacherous Judah. She hotly pursued the same sins. Israel's perverse and foul whoredom with stones and with stocks polluted the land that God had given them for his worship. Is that not astounding? God created the heavens and the earth. And his people who had scripture, who knew that their God was the creator of heaven and earth, has to say to them, stop worshiping the rocks. Stop worshiping the tree trunks that you trick up. Stop worshiping the works of your own hands. The prophet rebuked treacherous Judah for her sins because she watched as God judged Israel. She watched as God called Israel to repent of her whoredom. She watched as God said, come back to me. Come back to me. I'll put my anger away. She watched as God called Israel to turn from her whoredom. But Judah outwardly submitted to King Josiah's spiritual reforms. But God said that Judah hath not returned to me or hath not turned unto me with her whole heart, but feignedly. That is, in her heart, she was still a shameless Defiant idolater committing adultery against her divine husband. Therefore, God declared her more treacherous than Israel. This dreadful idolatry lay in the hearts of the unfaithful leaders of God's people. We saw in Jeremiah chapter 2 verses 7 and 8. That the priests said not, where is the Lord? And they that handled the law knew me not. The pastors also transgressed against me. That's the heart of what we want to draw out today. The pastors also transgressed against me. It doesn't say that the pastors were standing their ground. And saying with the prophets, yes, repent, turn from your idolatry, turn from your whoredom, turn from your sin, come back to your husband, come back to the God that loves you, come back to the God that took you out of Egypt, come back to the God that gave you this land. They didn't do that. And our pulpits are pretty quiet today. 
when it comes to that. Which is a great sorrow. We also learned that the prophets prophesied by Baal. The religious and political leaders of God's people were unregenerate. I repeat. The religious and political leaders of God's people were unregenerate and led their people astray. In love, patience, and mercy, God called Israel and Judah to repentance. But blinded by their demon-darkened hearts, both refused. So God commanded Jeremiah to proclaim these words toward the north. The north, in this case, meant the Jews that were left in the northern kingdom of Israel or those carried away to the northern kingdom of Assyria. It can be understood and, in my opinion, probably means both. Whatever the case, God called them through Jeremiah, who was in Jerusalem. Return, thou backsliding Israel, saith the Lord. And I will not cause mine anger to fall upon you, for I am merciful. Listen, every sinner here needs to hear and know that God is merciful to sinners. God continued, Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord, for I am married unto you. When we think of the Thrice holy God, that the heaven of the heavens cannot contain. Almighty, all-knowing, all-present. It is amazing that he would bend down and speak to an adulterous whore of a wife and say, come back, I'm married to you. God's faithful to his covenant vows. Many of us are not. May God help us ever to be faithful to the one to whom we are married. We are the bride. Christ Jesus is the bridegroom. We are covenanted to him through his blood. And we should be faithful wives to him, a faithful bride to the one who loved us and gave himself for us. Well, God says, I am married to you. What amazing grace. What steadfast love. Well, God 
in the light of this amazing statement, then makes another one. He gives us this astonishing promise. I will take you one of a city and two of a family. Now notice, Jeremiah is to preach this toward the north. Some of those that were there have been dragged off into captivity, at least by the measure of some, at least 100 years prior. And there are others still scattered around in the land. It could be, as I said, either or both. They're in the north, and God says, go preach toward the north. Do we understand this? God has judged them for their adultery and dragged a large number of them out of the comforts of their nation. But he says, now, Jeremiah, go and preach to them. There are some that would say, that Jeremiah was in the temple and went to stand in the northern gate to speak this prophecy. I don't know. I wasn't there. Neither were you. But Jeremiah did so. That's an amazing thought. Again, God's mercy is crying out after those he's judged and who are still in misery. Come back. Repent. Acknowledge your sin. And the gospel says this every day. Every day. Come. I don't care how foul and sinful you are. It is not greater than the saving power of Christ's blood. But God promises that I will take one from the city, two from a family. In other words, it's a remnant. It's not everybody. He says, I'll take you, and I'm going to bring you to Zion. Now, it is true. Israelites and later those that were carried away into Babylon did return. Ezra and Nehemiah tell us about that. But we don't see this remarkable time unfolding before them. So what bringing you to Zion is he talking about? I'm among those who believe that, of course, he did bring them back to Jerusalem. They rebuilt the temple. It was so less whelming than the original one, the foundation of the temple, that those who had seen the original temple just stood there and cried. The other people were happy and joyful and making noise. You could hear it all around. And it says you couldn't distinguish the difference between those who were joyful and those who were mourning and weeping. This doesn't sound like a great age. We're thankful that God kept his promise. The people are back in the land. They begin to rebuild the walls. They begin to rebuild the temple. They begin to do all of these things and they become of a a country again, but they were never the country that they were when they were under Solomon. So where's this great age that's being promised? Well, we're in it, in its seed form, and it's unfolding toward a glorious future. 
This truly is amazing grace. God promised pastors according to mine heart. What does that mean? They're going to be faithful to God's word. God expresses who and what he is in his great works. We can look that, look at those things and be amazed. We can stand in awe of creation as Psalm 33 said before us. But his word, we need men who are faithful to the word of God to preach God's word as he gives it. Why is Isaiah in the Bible? He was faithful. He preached God's message. Why is Jeremiah in the Bible? He was faithful to the message God gave him. Ezekiel and all the rest. They were God's covenant enforcers. They would come to God's people and say, God married you. God brought you out of Egypt. God gave you this land. God gave you this food. God gave you all these blessings. But he's also got curses in this covenant too. But there's a time when there will be pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. And it shall come to pass when ye be multiplied and increased in the land. In those days, saith the Lord, they shall say no more. Again, there's a change here. The Jews aren't going to say at that time, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. Well, that's a pretty massive change. The Ark of the Covenant sat at the heart of the covenant. It was the place where God met with his people. That's one of the reasons they went to Jerusalem. It was sprinkled blood on the mercy seat. And the Lord said, where that blood is sprinkled, that's where I'll meet with you. All of that beautifully foreshadowing the Lord Jesus. Today, he still meets with us where the blood was sprinkled. The blood of Christ is our passageway into the throne of grace. So there's a time coming, it says, that people aren't going to come and say, the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Neither shall it come to mind. Neither shall they remember it. Wait a minute. Even when they come back from their dreadful captivity, they remembered who and what they were. They remembered the glories of the temple. They remembered the things. Why would there be a day when they don't even think about the ark? It's, we see it in Exodus and it goes all the way through the the. The historical writings mentioned by some of the prophets. What time is it when people will be saying, hmm, we're going to worship God and not even think of the ark. God goes on to say, at that time they shall call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord. And listen carefully. All the nations shall be gathered unto it. 
That has not happened. All the nations shall be, shall be gathered unto it. To the name of the Lord. To Jerusalem. Neither shall they walk anymore after the imagination of their evil heart. We're not in that day. In those days, the house of Judah shall walk with the house of Israel, and they shall come together out of the land of the north to the land that I've given them for an inheritance unto your fathers. There would be a true return. There would be a coming back to the land. But so many of these beautiful promises are not realized. They're not realized. And that's because it's pointing to another day. The fulfillment of this passage certainly began with the return from captivity. But we do not see the blessed, the blessed things that were promised fulfilled. When would such a time be? That brings us to our second thought. God's promise is fulfilled in Christ, his churches, and the new covenant, culminating in the consummation of the kingdom. In other words, there's a time, a span, an outworking of God's promise to its fulfillment. And that time begins with the coming of the Lord Jesus. We have seen that the time that we believe is pointed to here, that Christ established the kingdom and inaugurated the new covenant. In other words, the church age, the age in which we live. Jeremiah, little did he know, was talking about people all over the world in a different day, in a different time, coming to the God of Israel. The nations, it means the Gentiles, people such as we. Now that culminates with the glorious kingdom of God reaching its climax when the Lord Jesus came he established the kingdom but we we don't see it right now as we see it explained and described in other places because we are moving toward we are growing toward we are maturing toward the consummation of that glorious kingdom we're in it now Certain theologies have robbed us of that truth. But the fact of the matter is, he's made us kings and priests, and we are now, but we're a whole lot like Abraham. Abraham walked around in the land, but he didn't own it while he was alive. God said, here, go take a look. I'll let you walk around and see it. But he didn't know how many generations it would be before his seed inherited the land. So when Jesus came, he established the kingdom 
He inaugurated the new covenant. And this age will come to its glorious climax. The, the kingdom of God reaching its ultimate beauty, its fulfillment. That's when there will be no more wars. That's when there will be peace among people. And it's not going to be because of the United Nations. It's not going to be because of the politics of men. And I don't care if they're even conservative. They're not going to accomplish it. Christ the King has established and will bring it to pass and will reign and rule among his people and the nations. So from the time of Christ's resurrection, the heart of God's expanding kingdom is faithful shepherds. What? <laughs> yeah. The heart of it is people, men, who faithfully preach the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word. This is why God made the promise that he did. I will give you faithful pastors. He didn't have to say that. If we can just all get it together. I'm in. Y'all in? Sure. We're all in. No. The very notion of who and what we are means that we are ignorant and that we need the light of God's word in our darkness to scatter our darkness away so that we can walk according to his word. The kingdom is not built by wishful thinking. It is built by the preaching of God's word. His living word. That's why if you don't spend time in the word, you are robbing yourself. You are robbing yourself of the glory, the beauty, the love of God. The God that says, come back, come back. You've got to know this God. You can't even pray well unless you know who you're talking to. Thomas Cobbett, the American Puritan, challenged us on this last week. He was saying the central part of prayer, real prayer, biblical prayer, prevailing prayer, is faith. But faith must always have an object. It's just like love in that sense. You don't just love. I love. What do you love? Um... Oh, everybody. No, you don't. You don't. No. You, you don't just love. You don't wake up and go, oh, I love. There's always got to be an object. It may be inferior objects. I love coffee. <laughs> I love hamburgers, right? But you've always got an object. I love you. Those are wonderful words if you mean them. They're dreadful words if you don't. But I love something or someone. It's the same thing with faith. You have faith. 
You don't just say, well, I just believe. You believe something. You believe someone. But you always have an object to your faith. And that's why Cobbett says, faith is the central part of prayer. You are trusting your, your deeds, your life, your immortal soul, your needs, your health to someone who is he? Or is it who is she? Depending on who you talk to today. You've got to know who God is in order to pray. <clears throat> That's why there must be those who teach us from the word. None of you just navigates the Christian life without hearing from God. You don't and you can't. You can't walk faithfully with God unless you're hearing, understanding, believing, and applying His Word. The importance of the Word is immeasurable. This book is God's treasure house to God's people. If you want to know God, if you want to know his ways, if you want to believe on the, the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved, you've got to have his word as the object of your faith. The Philippian jailer didn't bounce in before Paul and say, um, I hear you guys singing and I hear you guys talking about this Jesus fellow. Uh, I assume that that's where... Mm, something called salvation is. And so thanks a lot for singing. He heard enough to say, what do I do? What, what do I do to be saved? And they said, oh, don't worry about it. Just believe something. No, they gave him an object, but it was from the living word. Believe on the Lord. Jesus Christ, not your buddy, Jesus Christ, not Dr. Christ, not psychiatrist Christ. Believe on the Lord. Believe on the King. Believe on the one who is ruling. That's an authoritative command to believe on an authoritative person. Where does the authority in Paul come from? The Word. People that have authority in God's way of things don't have authority in themselves. They're not born into the world with like, well, I've got it and you don't. <laughs> it's delegated. God says, I want you to do this in my name. Now, when you do this, I'm with you. I'm behind you. That's why when you shoot your mouth off to your parents, you're sinning against God. Because your father, in and of himself, doesn't have one whit of authority. The authority he has, has been given him by God. And God has said to you and to me, honor thy father and thy mother. He is 
Moses was authoritative when he said that because he was handling and presenting the word of God to other human beings. If there's anything in this country and among the professing people of God that they despise, it is authority. They hate anybody that thinks he's got authority. But when the policeman pulls you over, it doesn't matter whether he's a nice guy or a jerk. He has the authority. It has been appointed to him. He says, you see that sign right there that says 35 miles an hour? Uh, You were going 50. I clocked it. And therefore, here's your ticket. He has the authority to do that. And you can say all day long, I hate that. You hate God. Because God put him there. He put the fellow that's in the White House there. You need to watch how you talk about him. We hate authority. You're going to say, no, we don't. Yes, you do. Especially in a place like a church. But I'm telling you, brethren, what God promised was faithful pastors. Why were they authoritative? One, God appoints them. Two, God has said, now, do these things according to my word for my people. Who's going to answer for that? The ones he's appointed. The word of God says that. We're going to spend time looking at it. But you see, everyone here has been contaminated by and is rotting away with the idea of democracy. We're all equal. My opinion is just as good as yours. Well, it might be better, but it might be a whole lot worse. You don't think that because you think your opinion, that rules. That destroys churches, by the way, because God has an order. Every father in here is to be respected. That doesn't mean that everything that he says or does is okay. But he's your father. And God put him there. And God said, honor your father. Uh, Are we getting that? It's really important. One of the problems with the churches today is everybody is almost as egalitarian as the communists. We have to understand that God is hierarchical. Ah, boy, do we hate that word today. Is he hierarchical? He certainly is. So, one of his promises to his people in a glorious time of the kingdom moving toward the consummation of the kingdom is faithful pastors. Faithful, faithful shepherds. They're to preach God's word and not mess with the message. The heart as I said, of this expanding kingdom is shepherds according to God's heart. Why? Because it's God's word that they bring. 
they don't have natural authority. None. I have none in myself. But when God says, I want you to do this, that means I need to do it. It is the same with you. Every father here knows that there are some days when you wish maybe you had just a few less children. At least for a few minutes. Hope you understand how I mean that. Children can really wear you out. Right? You can find out how unsanctified you are by the way you respond to your children. So, now, do, do, should every father turn in his father card and say, well, you know, I failed here a time or two, so nobody has to respect me anymore? Or do you still demand, do you demand that your children respect you? We hate authority, and we need to learn to love it as God gives it. As God gives it. Can people... Can people, can fathers, can mothers, can even children violate what God says? Mm -hmm. But are they still respected to walk according to what God has told them to? Yes. Because it's God's system, not ours. Things work when we walk in God's system. Now, why shepherds? Why shepherds? Now, there are other names for pastors. And we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. But why why shepherds specifically? Well, in the Old Testament, God is known as the shepherd. Who doesn't know the line, the Lord is my shepherd? The Lord is my shepherd. And what is one of the most memorable ways that Jesus identified himself? I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep and other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. And they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. That's why pastors are usually referred to as under-shepherds. They're shepherding God's flock according to the shepherd, one shepherd. Now, by those words, those sweet words, those beautiful words, the Lord Jesus showed that he was the shepherd, not only of the Jews, but of other sheep. Who are the other sheep? We. We are the other sheep, the Gentiles. Let us consider. Jesus showed the power of his kingdom by his miracles. He announced triumphantly, if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. And he showed the power of the kingdom by his preaching. The people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one 
having authority. That's what impressed them. They heard the scribes. They heard the Pharisees. They all took out the same scripture roles and spoke from them. But when Jesus spoke, there was something different. And it was his authority. He'd been authorized by his father. Don't you remember at his, uh, at his baptism, God spoke from heaven. But then he spoke again about his son. This is my son. He spoke about him on the mountain. There were three disciples there with him. And what did he say? This is my son. Hear him. That's authority. He'd been manifesting that authority all along. But it's being reaffirmed from heaven. Why? Because Jesus is about to die. And those disciples didn't have an image of Messiah dying. They didn't understand their scriptures. God later, through Christ, will open, Luke 24, open their understanding. What? So that they might understand the scriptures. The living word is what God has turned loose on this world. It is his authority. And those that wield it do it according to what he says. Or they're not true pastors. They're not truly the shepherds that God promised. Truly in his earnest, in his earthly ministry, Jesus was the pastor according to God's heart. He was a pastor. He was the one that was feeding them every opportunity he had. He was teaching. He was preaching. Yes, he healed bodies. But all of that was there to affirm the word. The word. One of the biggest problems with pastors is when they start thinking that in themselves, they're the authority. They must submit themselves to the very same thing that they set before God's people and walk in it. If not, go look for another church. Jesus fed his people with knowledge and understanding at every opportunity. Furthermore, Jesus sealed the new covenant with his broken body and his precious blood. He said of the bread and the cup during the last supper, this is my body which is given for you this is my blood of the new testament which is shed for many for the remission of sins it didn't stop there he said now <clears throat> do this and do it in the churches till i come that was an authoritative pronouncement i say regularly to our children when we're having the lord's supper children the reason we do this is because Jesus commanded us to. All right? And when I say that, that is authoritative. Not because of me, but because of the word of God. As Jesus paid the price for the sins of his people on Calvary's cross, the old covenant passed away, and the glory and the beauty of the new covenant began in his broken body and shed blood. 
Truly, he fed his sheep with knowledge and understanding. Now, how would Jesus bring in his Jewish and Gentile sheep after his ascension to heaven? How is this kingdom to be built? How are the people going to be gathered? How will we get to that time when all the nations come and bow to the Lord Jesus Christ? The word of God. Faith cometh by hearing, I repeat, and hearing by the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Therefore, the word of God needs to be faithfully proclaimed. And God, while anyone, of course, may speak the gospel and speak the scriptures to others, the Lord does appoint people to be pastors. After his resurrection on the third day, Jesus restored the fallen Peter, saying three times, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter said, yes. Jesus replied, feed my sheep. There is the shepherd image going right to Peter. You now feed my sheep. Peter worked in an authoritative role as one chosen by the Lord. Well, we don't have apostles anymore. Exactly right. So does that mean it's a free-for-all? Anybody can just do and say whatever they want and call it Christianity? No. God equips and raises up men to preach his word. How did a church get started in Malawi? How did that happen? Frank Maxson didn't go over there and say, I'm Frank, I'm authoritative, do whatever I say. Is that how it happened? No. But he believed with all of his heart that the Lord sent him to say something, to preach something. And everybody in this room wasn't there and didn't go with him. As such, he went and preached the word and, there's, and God blessed it and there's still fruit and a church growing there. That's how the kingdom advances. It isn't just getting people to say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. It's going and establishing churches with God's hierarchy. Ooh, that horrible word. That's exactly what it is. It's authoritative. The word is authoritative. Jesus replied, feed my sheep. Feed my people with the glorious truth about me. Feed my people that I am the God man. Feed my people that I died and rose again from the grave. Peter would later refer to Jesus as the shepherd And bishop of your souls. Our souls. Jesus is our shepherd still. He's the shepherd of our souls. Lastly, Jesus gave gifts to his churches. He doesn't just call a mass of people together. He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. 
The word pastor there is the word shepherd. Shepherds. In other words, this is the fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy throughout the entire church age. Are there phony pastors? There sure are. That's why a pastor's qualifications are in the book, in the living word. Is this making sense? Very often we don't think about it in these terms. It's just, you know, if you come from South Louisiana, you're just kind of looking for a preacher. There's a lot of those around. But there's pastors. Men who've been appointed by God to lay down their lives for God's children. And they do so by bringing the word and ministering to them. And they are different from others. Not in their nature. They're just as sinful as other people. They're not a different race or a different breed as such. They've been appointed to do something. That's the difference. Who maketh thee to differ? God. That's exactly the case. <clears throat> Does that mean they can be steely tyrants? No. It means they're to be faithful and they are to be seen as God's appointed authorities. <clears throat> Again, not because of themselves, but because what God has given them to do with the word of God. <clears throat> Jesus, <clears throat> Jesus gave these gifts to the church. Why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying, the building up of the body of Christ. In other words, the kingdom goes along by the faithful preaching of the word. And anybody can take biblical truth to other people, of course. But there are people that are appointed to oversee the teaching of God's people. It's inescapable. Whether you believe in a single pastor, a plurality of elders, whether you believe in parity, or whether you believe in uh, teaching pastors and, and ruling pastors, however you cut up the pie, however you take the examples or understand the details, God has appointed people to do a work. Not everybody's called to that work. That glorious period, the church age, will culminate in the splendor and the majesty of the new Israel and the new Jerusalem. That's the Zion everyone will come to where it will all be peace. It's not going to be a bunch of Methodists, Presbyterians, Lutheran, and Baptists arguing. It's going to be a different place. We will all be corrected. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I actually am looking forward to my correction. Anyway, Jeremiah points out by these words, at that time, they shall call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord and all the nations shall be gathered unto it. How's that, how's that gathering going to happen from the preaching of the word? Preaching of the word in churches, preaching of the word out on streets, preaching of the word in every opportunity that you have, whether it's going into the jails, going into the uh, nursing homes. There's so many ways we can take the word. And men don't have to be pastors to do that. But 
Churches need to be guided. Anybody noticed? So now, what, what does the word pastor mean in this context? And this will be my last thought for us this morning. <clears throat> we, we move from the primary part of the text that I have focused on, the faithful pastors that God has promised. What does the word pastor mean? Well, the English word pastor comes from the Latin French word for herdsman or shepherd. When you hear the word pastor, it means shepherd. It's that simple. It's just like what we heard from the lips of the Lord Jesus. Peter, feed my lambs. Shepherds are significant characters throughout God's word. The most well-known are David, who was a type of Christ, and Christ, the shepherd and bishop of our souls. As we have seen, Christ's own words paint the most beautiful and comforting portrait of his character to us. I am the good shepherd. A good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Hirelings don't. Anybody can preach a sermon. Not everybody will give his life for others. That ignorance, by the way, I was going to say most of us are city dwellers. We really know little about shepherds or shepherding. Some of you might. But generally speaking, most of us are clueless. And because of that, one of the most important metaphors or figures of speech in the Bible is underrated. We don't really get much of what's being said because we don't really understand shepherds and what they do, why they do it, how much they have to do it, what it costs them to do it. It's just, oh, that's a nice picture. I like that picture of Jesus walking with the lamb. I'm like the little lamb that Jesus is carrying. Well, that's a nice thought. And I've, there are times when I know he's carrying me. <laughs> I understand that sometimes shepherd had to break the legs of the, the sheep to get him to, to uh, be still and, and to take him back to the, the flock. I, I'm still standing, but I know my legs have been broken several times. <clears throat> but in our day, we use the word pastor exclusively for a shepherd of souls, a man who has a spiritual oversight of a congregation. <clears throat> However, the word shepherd is not used in a strictly religious sense in the Bible. Now, this is what we're going to close with today. It's what we'll pick up with next time, God willing. It's this. <clears throat> Kings, princes are called shepherds. And others are called shepherds that are political figures. Why do we have that and somebody who feeds the flock? Well, to make us understand that when God says shepherd, he's talking about care and rule. Care and rule. Oh, we're back into that area where everybody gets thorny. But that's what it's about. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. And we'll spend a little time here. But here it is. Hebrews chapter, chapter 13, verse 17. Obey them that have the rule over you. 
Hmm. And submit yourselves. Oh, that's even worse. And submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. There's the care. Rule and care. Rule and care. <clears throat> for they watch for your souls as they that must give account to the great authority. Everything that I say and do to God's people, I'm going to give an account for. I'm glad that the Savior, the King that I will stand before, wears my nature. I'm glad that he's my substitute. I'm glad that he's paid for my failures and my sins. I know that I will give account for the people that have come and gone from this congregation. That they may do it with joy. And that, but then wouldn't that be nice? Let's, let's give those who rule over us great joy. Not generally the way it goes. Oh, he said this. I don't like that. And then someone tells you something that's not true. But you immediately believe it. Because you're already ticked off that they're in authority. Oh, it's amazing how that works. It's right here, brethren. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief. Can sheep cause grief? I'll let you pray about that and answer. It says, for that's unprofitable for you. Why? Because the pastor is a superman? A grade above everybody else? No. Because he brings you the word of God. That's authoritative. Everybody in the military gets this thing about authority, right? Even if you don't like that colonel or that general, you've got to say, yes, sir. Right? American Christians don't believe it or practice it, by and large. But every father in here wants to be respected, don't you? And what verse will you go to to back up that authority? And to say to your children, yeah, I know that you don't like this, but I'm your father and the Bible says, honor your father and your mother. Oh, well, let's see. Why are you doing that? Because you're the authority in your house. You're not perfect. And neither is any other authority that God appoints except his son. So, as we pray about and as we look for a pastor, a shepherd. We want to recognize a man who is qualified according to what God says because he's actually a fulfillment of God's promise to Israel and Judah. A pastor after God's own heart. So God willing, we will begin next week looking at those qualifications. God wants us to be able to recognize the men that he has called. That's important because we can be too easily swayed to think he's a good old boy. I like to have him for a pastor. That's not, that's not the qualification. <clears throat> May God help us. Jesus is the shepherd and he's the standard by which all that are under shepherds fail to meet. We all fail. But there are those that are 
given the power to do so and, and do it, God willing, for the good of the Lord's people and for the joy of all. May we take that home and pray about it and discuss it. <clears throat> Christ in heaven. We all have problem with authority. I know that I do. But I've come to see how important it is in this life. And our responsibilities are always keenly measured by the word of God, not how we feel. Now help us, O oh Lord, help us to obey thee. For everyone that has been given authority in whatever their realm is, may they use it to the glory of God, not to the preening of their pride. And help us, O oh God, to love one another in the stations that thou hast given us. Bless every one of thy sheep here. I trust that thou hast fed them. And now I pray that we will go and, and uh, rejoice in the rest of thy day. In Jesus' name, amen. You please stand with me. Brethren, this, this is indeed the living word. It transforms people. We want to hear it as clearly as it can come. Filters, human filters, are always wrestling to try to get it out as clearly as possible. Failing often. <clears throat> Paul says to the Romans, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. In believing. Believing what? Believing the word of God. Believing the Christ that sets before you. That's where your joy is. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Let's go in the name of the Lord Jesus.